podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. joining us for this special edition we thought that while we're all waiting patiently for club football to return and questioning every move that gareth southgate makes we'd get on the phone to ex-leeds manager simon grayson so during the simon grayson hour we'll cover off his playing career his management of leeds and we'll find out where he thinks the club are going to finish this season well thank you so much for joining us simon i think first up let's have a chat about your time as a player um, Leeds was obviously a key part of your career from the start, having gone through the youth squad. Was your focus really on cementing yourself in the senior team during your time at the club, or was it just a case of getting as much experience as you could? Uh, first and foremost was when I joined at 14, was to try and make a living in the game, and ideally that would have been to play for Leeds and make many, many appearances. And uh, the second part didn't happen too often. Um, but it was just a great experience from signing as a 14-year-old on the same day Gary Speed signed as well, which was obviously grew into a great friendship and uh, so sad that he's no longer with us. Um, to then, so Eddie Gray signed me at 14 and then Billy Bremner took me on as apprentice. And, and it was fascinating days then, really, with being apprentice, that you were cleaning Billy's room and listening to the stories from the Revy days. And it, it was just, it was fascinating and um I was very fortunate that he gave me my debut at 17. So to get such an early um, taste of first-team football was was fantastic. Um, but it wasn't for another few more years that I managed to cement a put well, try and make another couple of appearances. And and it just didn't happen for me, you know what I mean? Whether I was ready to play first-team football or not. Um, but it got to the stage when I got to 21 that I needed to go and play, make a career in the in the in the game. Uh, hence went to Leicester and. Uh, Obviously, I had a, a decent career after that playing, but it was I'd love to have played a lot more times for Leeds. Um, played with some great people, learnt a lot from um, Eddie Gray to start with and Billy Bremner and Howard Wilkinson to learning off Gordon Strachan, not just on the pitch, but off it as well, how you conduct yourself, how you look after yourself, how you train. Um, and, the, and the apprentice days, myself, Gary Speed, David Batty, uh, and lads like that that went on to have great careers. So, look, it's fantastic to be given that opportunity. Nobody can ever take away your debut for the team you supported. Um, and said I would like to have played a lot more, but it just didn't happen, unfortunately. Do you think, obviously, moving to Leicester, you took all that experience um, and type of players and that you, you, you've been in and around daily to Leicester with you? You know, obviously, and then you think you made about 229 appearances and went on to score the winning goal in the, the League Cup semi-final, we remember, and obviously ended up picking a, a winner's medal, which I think it went into a, a replay, didn't it, that year against Middlesbrough? Well, I went, I went to Leicester and from suddenly playing uh, in the reserves at Leeds to 11 games later, I'm playing in what is the equivalent of the Championship playoff final now and uh, against Blackburn, Kenny Daglish's team who'd spent a fortune on, on the players. And um, it was one of them occasions that it just passed me by because you just... 
the, the game, the, the emotions of everything. It was you were probably just in awe of it all, really, um, of this iconic stadium in Wembley. You're actually gracing it. And then the following couple of years, Leicester, we lost in the playoff final again. The following year, we lost. Sorry, we won the playoff final against Derby to get to the Premier League, and I was fortunate that I was captain, so I became the first Leicester captain to ever win a trophy at Leicester. So that, uh, for Leicester, so that was really nice. Got relegated from the Premier League, and then the following year, we got promoted again via the playoffs at Wembley. So it was like an unbelievable period of, of being a player and a supporter at that time. And then it came with the um, uh, our first year in the back. And then we got obviously in the Premier League again and finished tenth and, and won the League Cup, beating Brian Robson's uh, Middlesbrough in a replay at uh, Sheffield Wednesday's ground, Hillsborough. And they had the likes of Emerson, Janino, Ravinelli, and uh, we beat them in a, in the replay. So it was it was a fantastic time at Leicester. I loved my time there playing. Wembley was like our second home, winning promotions, losing playoff finals, just was. Just the norm, really. Didn't you get the fans play with the year that year as well? Yeah, and I got it a couple of years before that as well. So I was quite honoured to have got two player of the year awards as well. And and I had no intentions eventually of leaving there because I loved it. I had business uh, in Leicester as well. Um, I had a wine bar, stroke bar, which was frequented a few times after celebration games by us all. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a great place to be at that time. Brian Little signed me in the first place and then he went off to Aston Villa and then Martin O'Neill came in and um, obviously the the two top quality managers. So it was, it was a great period in Leicester's history. Your career then took you on to Blackburn and then a move to Blackpool. At what point were you then starting to think about your future and potentially making that move into managerial positions? Probably like a lot of players, when they get to sort of your 30s, you're always thinking the end is nigh. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not far before you have to look about what you're going to go and do. And I started doing my badges um, while I was at Blackpool. Um, and then uh, eventually I got uh, I took over for one game at the end of a season caretaker and got opportunity to still play but be the reserve team manager, which... I was remembered one game I'd played at Bournemouth on the Tuesday night and, and got back home at something like five o'clock in the morning to then be out of the house again at 11 o'clock to take the reserves. So I certainly uh, learned my trade the hard way um, and then got offered the job at Blackpool and I sort of fell into it as a manager, to be fair, because I was going to go off as an assistant manager to a friend of mine's and... Um, I spoke to Colin Hendry, who was a manager at the time, and he said, look, you can go, but you need to speak to Carl Oyston, the owner. So I went off to see him, and he basically said, no, you can't go, which was which I was stunned by, because I was 35 and done well for Blackpool, played 100 games or so. And he said, I said, why? And he said, well, I'm sacking Colin, and you're taking over. So I sort, wow. of, fell in, sort of fell into it. Um, that was about February time, maybe Christmas time, actually. And take caretaker to the end of the season and then took over, kept them up and uh, got the job full time. And in my first season, got promoted to the championship. Had you done your coaching badges as well then? Obviously, 35, I guess you knew your career was winding down as a player. Yeah, I was doing them sort of while I was still playing. I was uh, learning by going into Blackburn on my days off as well. Some of the coaches, I would go and take some of their youth team players on a Wednesday. Um, Ian Miller, who was obviously my first team coach at, Le- at Leeds and a lot of the other clubs that I've been at was at Blackburn at the time. 
Um, and ended up taking lads, people like who was in the team there, Alex Bruce actually was in the youth team at that time, Jonathan Walters, G- um, Hoylett, who's now at Cardiff. So it's good experience and put the hours in to learn my trade. And then um, it was basically that when you get offered the job as a manager, it's going to be one of them. You're either going to sink or swim, you're going to enjoy it, you're not going to enjoy it. Because I never thought that I would be a manager at 35. Um, I thought I'd do a natural progression and just see how it went. And uh, Made some ruthless decisions, letting players go who were my teammates in the dressing room. We shared maybe roomed with, actually, to be fair. And But it's that ruthless streak that you have to have as a manager. It's either you sink or they sink. After that success at Blackpool, um, obviously that's when Leeds kind of came knocking and that transition over to Leeds wasn't particularly smooth, was it? Um, what were your initial thoughts kind of when, when Leeds made that call to say that they were interested? I remember it being the Sunday that uh, Gary had just got sacked um, after the MK Don's game. I got the call to say that um, they, w- they would like to, would I be interested, which obviously before the conversation had actually finished, I was probably on the motorway across the leagues. Um, I, was, I was that sort of happy and wanted to do that. But it, um, on the Monday I was in at Blackpool and um and it was just Carl Oyston didn't want me to go. Ultimately, I had to resign. I put a letter in and uh, Ken Bates, to be fair to, to him, he just said, look, resign and we'll deal with any sort of problems that come with lawyers, etc." And so even when I came in at Christmas time, there was still probably another four or five months proceedings going on behind the scenes of compensation, etc., which eventually got resolved on the doorsteps of the EFL. But I was, obviously I was there and managing at the time. It was just... Blackpool were wanting a huge sum of money for me. First game, I think you said it there, touched upon it earlier, it's at Christmas one. I think it was the 23rd of December against Leicester. Snodgrass got a, a late equaliser for you. So yeah. Bad, bad Christmas present that. It's probably the one, is that probably the best Christmas present you've ever had, would you say? I would say so. It was it was so I- ironic as well that you're against one of the teams that you played for for the last parts of your career. And, but it was just a surreal moment when I'm sort of walking down the tunnel to marching on to de- together. He's coming over the, the loudspeaker and the crowd are all singing it. And it was, it, I had to pinch myself because it was, your thought process was that, wow, I'm following in the footsteps of some of the great managers, Howard Wilkinson, um, Don Revy, Billy Bremner and, and Jimmy Armfield and people like that. It was like, God, this is, is this really happening to me? And then and then the game goes off and it's like work mode then. And it was great to, to get a draw in the first game, game with Snodgrass scoring uh, the equaliser against Leicester who were top at the table at that moment. And and then it was all about sort of making sure that we, we won a game very quickly. And that you did. I think, if I remember rightly, I think you won your last 11 games, didn't you, of the season, getting into the playoffs and cementing a place in there. So you went into in, in form. And I remember that season after after Gary McAllister left, I think a, a lot of us thought just, you know, have a kind of stable season and we'd go again the, the following year. But, you know, you, you gathered that momentum and, and really charged us towards the playoffs. Yeah, it was. Look, it, I don't think there was a great deal wrong with the squad or performance. It was probably a little bit of confidence, and we I knew that if we could sort of add a couple of players, I think they brought Richard Naylor in very quickly and one or two others. And it was basically, if we can get some results early on, the playoffs were still achievable for us. And um, 
and we'd managed to do that going on that run, like you said, and playing Millwall in the semi-final was never going to be easy given the rivalry between the two clubs. We we lost one nil down there, and and to be fair, I think if you lose a playoff semi-final and only one nil, you give yourself you th- still think that you'll turn it around, especially going back to a full house at Ellen Road under the lights. We were thinking this is we've got definitely got a great opportunity, and and to be fair to the to the lads, they had a right go, and we 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 got the equal, we got the uh, the goal. Luciano I think scored. Jermaine had just missed the penalty before that, and we had the real win be, be behind us and. I remember one of their lads getting injured and it just really knocked the wind out of our sails. It was just hard to pick it up again. And then Jimmy Abdu equalises. And before you know it, that's that's the playoffs done and dusted. And uh, But we spoke after the game and, and I always remember it. And I always say, when I've lost in playoffs um, as a manager in the past, that we've got, we'll use it as a motivation the following season. And uh, And obviously that's what we tried to do. Oh yeah, definitely. I remember. I remember that playoff semi-final, well, draw, defeat, on we got knocked out in the end. But that atmosphere that night was, even now, fans still talk about it as as being unbelievable. And and when Becchio scored that that goal, my goodness me, I've 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 heard some roars at Ellen Road, but again, it's it's in my top three that it was it was absolutely bouncing that night. And and like you said, it was it was heartbreaking in the end, wasn't it for us? But yeah, great great memories really at that time. Yeah, that like I said, that injury just took the wind out of us really, and we just couldn't pick it up again. And I, and I don't think the, I don't think it was a real bad injury for the lad. I think he he was very clever and he, he knew that they were really rocking and he uh, he really sort of deflated us and we just couldn't get going. But like I said one of the best atmospheres that have been at Ellen Road, and we wanted more of it the following season. I think as well, I remember because the East Stand Upper was closed, wasn't it? There was a lot of made about that at the time. And I remember it being open for the game and, and tickets went in an instant. I think that played a big part in it. That The, the fans came back for that and it, it played a massive part, like we said. But yeah, good good memories. Paddy Amster Parker. Robinson takes over. A good ball. Becky well placed. Obviously, you lost the playoff semi-final. You'd gone into the summer, wanting to rebuild, go again, strengthen and, and get us out of League One. And then Beckford had rejected a new contract, hadn't he? And then there was the Fabian Delph interest as well from the Premier League clubs, Villa, the likes of City were after him. You know, how, how did you find that at the time? Was it was it unsettling for the squad? Or was it an opportunity for you to look at them two players and think, I can replace them and move on, or, or even take the Delph money and move on? Well, I think I think it was inevitable from day one of me going in that, that Fab was going to move on because he was such a talent. And when you wanted by top Premier League clubs, it was going to be very difficult for us to keep hold of him as well. And um, and he, he he did what he needed to do. And obviously he's gone on and had a fantastic career. So I knew that we might get a little bit of money and I could maybe jiggle the squad around. And, and as I said, I think we brought Richard Naylor in and, and one or two others. Um, and and it, it was just sort of Jermaine's turning down of the contract. It wasn't too much of an issue because we'd said that sort of we we might as well keep Jermaine for the rest of that season, knowing that he could still get us promoted back to the championship. And 
And even in the January roundabout the time of the FA Cup tie, he was uh, Newcastle was sniffing around. And fair play to Ken, he says, look, he could be the difference between us getting promoted or not. And we told this to Jermaine and he accepted that. Um, and and we we ran the risk of him leaving on a free, but he could obviously leave on a high for the football club being promoted, but ultimately as well for him could have been scoring, the, could score the goals to get us promoted. And obviously that's how it panned out. So let's talk about January 3rd, FA Cup third round game against Manchester United. I'm sure you'll get asked about it in every interview, but it must be a career highlight still. Yeah, definitely. Look, we'd started the season really well. Um, we, we were up, up to the top of the division with Norwich. We were winning games. We had a good mentality about us. We had a good group of players. And um, and it was weird because I still think a lot of people don't realise that we never actually, we might not even got to the to the Man United game because we went to Ketchin and we drew there and it was sort of a real tough game for us. And then the draw got made and it was Man United away and obviously everybody was buzzing and we had the replay to play still. And as much as everybody thought Ketchin non-league, it's done and dusted, they, they took us to extra time. And it wasn't until late on that we got a couple of goals to go through. And then, and then it was really just the build-up to it, everybody talking about the rivalry. The lads would walk around the city and reminded of... They were reminded uh, about the rivalry and what it meant to the supporters. And and it was, we were playing against the Premier League champions at the time. And, and, and certainly Alex Ferguson wasn't wanting to get beat by a League One club and uh, certainly not Leeds United, one of their biggest rivals. So we went there. And I think all I said to the players was, let's make sure that we have no regrets when we come off. Look, if we, if we were expected to lose, but within the dressing room, let's make sure that we we believe that we can go and win there because it hadn't been a shock all weekend. And I said, why can't we be the ones that go and cause the upset of the third round? And and we went there, played with passion, desire, played some decent stuff. And and obviously Jermaine scoring quite early gave us not something to hang on to, but it gave us even more belief that we could we could actually turn them over. And and you look at their squad like Neville and and Rooney was playing and Owen came on and Giggs and Berbatov, Valencia. They they had a strong team out and. Uh, and it was, and even now you still think back and thinking, did it really happen? But ultimately as well, when it, when the fourth official puts up this time, added time, you're still thinking, this is Fergie time. We, we could still lose this game in, in, because it could have got five, six, seven minutes. But then just to see it, the time dwindle down and ultimately when he blew the whistle, it was a magnificent feeling to know that we'd beat the, the reigning champions, 9,000 Leeds fans in the corner and... The League One club had turned over one of their biggest rivals. And I guess I guess you knew you'd, you'd made history as well at the time, Simon. I think you look back on it now and it's the first time Manchester United have been knocked out of the FA Cup third round. You know, we, Leeds have not won at Old Trafford for 29 years until that day as well. And you kind of touched upon it earlier, but in the back of my mind, I always wanted to know pre-match, half-time, full-time, what you said to the lads. Because there was that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure... Was it 42 places between us and them at the time as well? And everyone was talking about the game, wasn't it? It was on ITV, prime time, Sunday lunchtime. Like you said, Manchester United packed full of first-team players. They didn't take it lightly. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think I think I remember saying to him at half-time, just saying, look, we've, the, the, you can imagine the lads were buzzing and obviously still a little bit in a little bit of shock that we were, that we were leading 1-0 at Old Trafford. Um, but I said, look, well, let's just... 
keep keep the game plan that we've worked on all week and you've just carried out for the first 45 minutes. And that was to play from the shape of our team and we played 4-4-2. We didn't go and play 4-5-1. We played two strikers up front and took the game to them knowing with Luciano and Jermaine, we, we could get goal threats and we were the, I think we had a narrow midfield four of Johnny Alson playing on the right with Bradley on the left, Kilkenny and Doyle in the middle. And we, we had to be very solid. And it, But I always look back at it at the game and thinking we weren't being peppered by it. Casper Ankergan hadn't had too many saves to make and just said we've got to keep doing what we're doing. We might still get other chances. And I remember Snodgrass hitting the bar from a free kick and and probably, the, as I said earlier, the injury time was a long, long time because you're just thinking something could still happen and tear that whistle going in the end was um, a great relief, but also a, a very proud moment. It's House forward towards Beckford and the ball's over Brown and this is Beckford, he just ran away from him but he'll still get a strike in a goal and score at the Stratford end for Leeds United and it doesn't get any better than that for a Leeds centre-forward. supporters 19 minutes gone and it's Simon Grayson going to spring the shock of the third round should we talk about Bristol Rovers um obviously it's one of those games that's probably going to stick in a lot of people's memories for a long time for me personally I'll never forget the little lad that was sat in front of me going down onto the pitch at full time and he came back up with a handful of the Ellen Road turf which is probably worth an absolute fortune these days um talk us through the emotions of that day well, we just knew, obviously, that we had to to win the last game of the season. We'd we'd blown it a little bit. We looked like we were going to slip up um, a month, six weeks before the end of the season. We went to Yeovil and we won there after losing to Swindon um, over Easter at home and went to Yeovil. Richard Naylor scored twice and, and got us back on track a little bit. But I think if somebody had said at the start of the season, win your last game of the season at home against Bristol Rovers, who had nothing to play for, then we'd have we'd have taken that. 38,000 there, the place was ready to, to rock and celebrate. And we had a few issues to deal with. I brought Jermaine back into the team because he'd been out of um, out of form a little bit, but I felt that it was the right opportunity to come back into the into the team. And we had a couple of other injuries. And you're expecting us just to go there and do the business. And, and we did start the game well. Um, and then right out the blue, Max loses his head. He? Like he didn't do anything really untoward. It was a moment of madness and, and we obviously regrets it. And it, and it ultimately could have cost us. But at half-time, when you, you're nil-nil and it's te- you're down to 10 men, you're thinking... How's this going to go? And you have to, we had to think about it. The dressing room was a bit uh, lively in terms of uh, to keep everybody just focused. Because Max was upset about the situation, but we 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 couldn't be too worried about what Max had done. It was more about we had to concentrate on the next 45 minutes. We still had 45 minutes to play to to achieve what we're capable of, of what we wanted to achieve. Um, and so we got had, had a plan A and a plan B and plan C if things were to go wrong or how we needed to change the game. And then obviously so early into the first, second half we go one nil down and it's and it makes it real tough, doesn't it? Ten men one nil. And um, made a couple of substitutions. Johnny came on. Um, and then when he scored, the place just erupted. It was like we were playing with 13, 14 men. 
and Bristol Rovers really just sort of caved in. They, they were a nervous wreck with, with their players, from being lads that were playing quite well and comfortable to all of a sudden doing stupid things. And I always remember the goalkeeper had been quite calm and sensible, threw one straight to Bradley, who drove into the box and... Uh, I don't know if it was a, a pass or a miss, miss hit shot, fell at Jermaine's feet, and I suppose the rest is history, isn't it? I'll never forget that day. I think that was, you know, fairly early on in me really understanding how much I, I loved football, and that was definitely a kind of defining moment in my relationship with Leeds United. So yeah. Johnny Alston's goal well, that day, Simon, as well. It, it's not until you watch back the game, and it's it's an absolute quality finish from from Johnny, but it it gets forgotten, doesn't it, for him? Yeah. Yeah, it does, because it's not the goal that ultimately got won as promotion. Jermaine's goal gets talked about all the time, but for without Johnny getting his back on side and um, bending it round, it was, I think it was Luciano set him up, just a little layoff, and, and Johnny's great around the 18-yard box. He, he had a good technique, and I'm not, if you'd wanted it to fall to anybody, it was probably going to be Johnny because of his, his calmness, his coolness, and his execution of... Of, um, of of an art of hitting the target and bending it round somebody. And uh, it was just great to see the ball at the back of there. Obviously, Leeds lad, um, how it must have felt for him is only he will know and, and, and only could he tell you. But it certainly then lifted the place. And it was, you talk about the atmosphere against Millwall, the place then was absolutely rocking, wasn't it? So moving on to the 2010-2011 season, Leeds are back in the Championship, obviously, after that incredible comeback. And you've strengthened the squad with the likes of Casper Schmeichel, Billy Painter, Paul Connolly, to name a few. And you've personally extended your contract as well. You must have felt pretty confident going into that season. Well, like any promoted team, you want to keep the momentum going. We we had strengthened. I think I signed the wrong one. I should have signed uh, Charlie Austin instead of Billy Painter. No disrespect. (laughs) Billy, um, but them two were really handful at Swindon, and, were, and he was out of contract. Billy, and um, he was a good lad to work with. Just didn't work out for him for early, for early at Leeds, and we, we got a group together. Jermaine had moved on to Everton, um, but we we kept the nucleus of a team we felt could still score lots of goals. Playing Luciano, Johnny, and Snodgrass, Max Gradle. We brought Sanchez Watt in again from from Arsenal. We had plenty of um, goals in us, and we just wanted to embrace it, hit the ground running, um, and, and see where it took us. And we had a we had a great start. We we, we beat QPR at around about Christmas, the Saturday I think it was before Christmas, to go second in the division. And uh, thinking we've got a great opportunity here. You, you touched upon it there, Simon, about you know the, the players that were, that were getting goals, and you, you literally got goals from all over the. The pitch on that season, I think the, the likes of Becky O'Gradle, Sommer and Alson, I think, got double figures. I think that's the first time since the 1990-91 season with the great Howard Wilkinson that we've had players getting double figures in, in so much that we did now. But what would you really put that success down to? Why were you getting these players scoring more goals? Because, you know, traditionally, we've always had that kind of number nine getting 20-odd a season, it may be. But you were getting them from all over the pitch, weren't you, in that season? So, you know, I've always wanted to know, or we've always wanted to know, really, what what really did you do to get that to, to, to work? Well, I think I think ultimately we had good players. You only have to look at where some of these lads have gone on to in terms of Snodgrass still playing in the Premier League now, yeah. Max played at highest level um, out in France, gone to Turkey now, Johnny played at highest level. Very talented players. 
But we, I think also my philosophy and idea was that we wanted to take the game to, to whoever we were playing against, whether it was League One, Man United in the, in the FA Cup or, or teams in the Championship. Yeah, we, we wanted to probably be, be a little bit more secure at the back at times, but we had, we had good players and sometimes you want t- players to flourish and I, I certainly feel there was a duty for myself to, to entertain the supporters because that's all I wanted to see. They wanted to see players fighting for the shirt, for the, every tackle that was going in, people running, chasing and, and scoring goals. So we, we never... And it's a, been a philosophy that I've carried right the way through my career. Once a player gets into the opposition's arse, stroke the top end of the pitch, then... If he wants to try and do something, then I've got no qualms about that. It won't always happen. It won't always work out. But if I've got somebody trying to do a nutmeg on the edge of our 18-yard yard box and it doesn't work, then he might get uh, the brunt of my thought of emotions, to be fair. But it was all about letting players express themselves and and have a freedom to go and well, score goals, create goals and entertain. And, uh, and that's all we did, really. Worked hard in training on certain situations and... But the encouragement really was the biggest thing for them. And I think it's such a good season that year as well. Being promoted from League One, we, I remember we all went into that season. And I'm not sure what you and your, your coaching team and the players uh, had an expectation of finishing, but we just came short in the end of the playoffs, didn't we? I think we finished seventh. And I guess you were looking forward to the next season, the 2011-12 season, with a lot of optimism, really, after what you'd built upon that season just gone. Yeah, I think I think the the season was a little bit of a it was a disappointing one in the end because I think we started the season like any promoted team. You want to make sure first and foremost you're still in that division come the end of the season, but that isn't good enough for Leeds United. You have to be at least top ten, pushing towards the playoffs if possible. And we got to Christmas and I wanted another centre back to help us just to be a little bit more defensively secure. Um, the people above felt that the squad was good enough and we didn't have loads of money around at the time and and unfortunately we, we didn't get another centre half and about and I think if we did we'd have been at least in the playoffs and then could could have anything could have happened. We were, like I said we were second at Christmas and we've got a good group of players and so it was tinged with a little bit of disappointment. And then that summer was a it was a tough summer really because we just finished seventh, which a lot of people would think was a success, which of course it was, because Leeds have never got near seventh up until uh, Bielsa came in for a long time. And um, But it was more sort of what was happening off the pitch. Players were not getting contracts that they wanted, or being offered terms that they wanted to stay. Casper Schmeichel, who'd been with us a year, turned down a new opportunity of a contract and... Ken says, well, we're going to sell him because he only had a year left on his contract and didn't want him to leave on a free. And then Max had gone to St Etienne and then there was rumours of other players. And it just felt a little bit of negativity within the, the football club for the first time in a long time. And, and then that sort of moved its way over um, throughout that first half of the season where we'd done all right, but we st- I think we'd missed an opportunity to build off the success that we'd done in that um, that first year in the championship. And uh, I think that was a, a, a big regret or a big disappointment for everybody at that time. Do you put it down to, obviously, that losing the players that, that we did at the time, contracts being run down right until the final year as well? Obviously, losing players, not replacing them with, with, with same quality. And then, obviously, the January transfer window, Losing your captain, Johnny Alson. 
that must have been a massive blow for yourself and, and for the dressing room as well, because from the fans' point of view, I guess you, you felt it and you knew it. Not great when you have ambitions and you've had two great seasons, I would say, and then you're kicking on and really pushing for promotion, then you lose your captain. That feel at the time. Yeah, look, as I said, the, the negativity towards the owner to Ken Bates was sort of coming in from the supporters because... Right away from that January, players were leaving more than coming in. We weren't replacing them with with, with better ones. And every season you go on, you have to, and every window that you have, you have to improve the squad. And that summer wasn't a great summer because players had gone. And then you felt the rumours were going round that contracts were not being accepted by players. And then Norwich came in for Johnny and he was injured at the time. Um, and the club decided to sell him, which... So I certainly know that Johnny didn't want to go, but he he had to look after himself and his family because he's obviously going to be um, earning a lot more money in the Premier League with with Norwich, and and that was just probably the the final nail in the coffin because I remember obviously a few games later, well probably just a game or t- later or so, then then I we lost to Birmingham and I lost my job off the back of it. So it, I think it was that accumulation from that summer where things just started to go a little bit downhill rather than. Mm. building on what was really sort of the platform of a lot of good players. If we'd kept Casper that summer, we'd kept Max that summer and added two or three other top quality players, there was no reason why we couldn't have got into uh, into the playoffs. Not spending a fortune, but it was just as if uh, people didn't didn't have the money available to, to help us go that way. How good was Johnny Alson for you? You know, you met him captain. Was he was a professional as he came across to to the fans? You know, one of our own. You look at Calvin now as an example, how we're connected to him, and Johnny was the same back then. But for you, how you know how good was Johnny Alson? Johnny is one of the most truest professionals that I can that I've ever worked with. He'd be trained like a demon every day. Um, no trouble whatsoever. If anything, it could be a little bit too nice, but he's he's such a lovely lad. I think he. If anybody brought John, if if any girl brought Johnny House and home, you, you'd be going right. He is son-in-law material <laughs> without a shadow of doubt. You wouldn't have any problems with him whatsoever. <laughs> so, I think he was, yeah, he was a joy to work with. I still keep in touch with him now, and um, great to see that he's had the career that he's had. He, he he's like I am. That we'd just love to have been managing playing in the Premier League with the team that we supported and fulfilling that ambition because. Um, you do see the similarities between him and Calvin, local lad, captain, doing everything, the connection with the supporters. It, 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 it is there for everybody to see and very fortunately that uh, Calvin's been able to achieve his goal. And I think if Leeds had um, not gone up this summer, then I'm not sure he would have been there. Um, like Johnny, wanted to, he wanted to fulfil his career and... Um, as I said, fortunately, Calvin has achieved that, and since then has gone on to be an England player. You've just you touched on um, kind of your um, sacking from the job, and and kind of the things that may have led to that. Ultimately, do you think it was maybe this inability to build on the season beforehand and not be able to build on that success? Um, and kind of what what impact did that have on your relationship with Ken Bates? Well, I think like I had a decent relationship with him. It wasn't sort of it wasn't sort of best buddies in terms of um, um, me accepting everything that he did. But I, obviously, when when it's somebody's football club and they sign the checks, you you cannot do you can't go 
shouting in public, you can't go and do this, you can't do that. You just think that you've still worked to the best of your capabilities and there's no way that was ever going to walk out on Leeds based on and the inactivity in the transfer market because it had brought my heart to, to have left Leeds. And I, I've said this many times, I had two opportunities to go to work in the Premier League when I was Leeds manager, but I'd, I wanted to fulfil my ambition of doing that with Leeds. And unfortunately, that didn't come along. Um, but you could just sense as sort of uh, things were just tipping in the wrong direction. Supporters towards Ken, the players leaving couple of bad results obviously Birmingham beat us 4-1 in the night I got sacked but we're still only three four points off the playoffs when I left and we still were in a bad position and I still felt that we could still get to the playoffs with a group of players that we had but obviously I wasn't given that opportunity and uh, Mr Warnock came in instead. Do you have any regrets around that last few kind of months at the club obviously a lot of it was out of your control but does it to an extent feel like there's a little bit of unfinished business there? People ask me about, do I have any regrets in football, in life or anything? Well, the only time you can have any regrets is when you don't do something in terms of, I, I give I work extremely hard every day to try and do what I was paid to do. Um, I, I would love to have taken the club to the Championship, to the Premier League, should I say. Um, but sometimes you, 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 other people's, your future is other people's hands. And um, whether that's getting rid of you, investing in the club, bringing new players in, etc. And you can't turn somebody to do something that uh, they don't want to do. So I don't have any regrets whatsoever. Would I change anything? Would I do anything different? You know, because I, worked, I did everything for Leeds United in that period of time that I thought I could possibly do. So uh, it was just a spell that Neil Warnock came available. Maybe Ken thought with his record that he might have a better opportunity to get the club promoted rather than me. Have you... Had an opportunity to come back at any point, Simon? Has any of the current ownership we've had post bits uh, been in touch with you? Any? Uh, yeah, come? look, I, I spoke to um, Chilino. I think I'm not sure who he'd said. It might have been Ockerday, I think. And I was at Preston at the time, and he yeah. and he asked me to uh, would I come back? And my heart was telling me to do it, but my head was certainly saying I'm not quite sure that working with Mr. Chilino was going to be the right thing where I was at that particular time. In my in my career, Preston were League One at the time, but I was settled there. I was working with good people, enjoying what I was doing. Um, so um, as much as I would have walked back to the club at that particular time, it was just just wasn't. It was such a volatile period of time, wasn't it? And ultimately, I think I was proved right because under Mr. Chilino, there was five or six different managers in such a short space of time, and that's why. I didn't take that job. And even when, uh, just before Paul Eggenbottom got the job, uh, I wasn't working and um, there's rumours, and I spoke to Victor that they might be interested in, in me coming back. Um, but uh, Paul Eggenbottom got the job instead. So like, it's been nice to have been offered the opportunity to go back once, nearly uh, nearly again, as I said, when Paul got the job. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just great to, to have that association with the football club still. I don't think anyone regrets not working under Chilina, so you probably, <laughs> probably dodged a bullet there, Simon. Yeah, you definitely dodged a bullet. This season, we've partnered with The Terrace so that you can get a discount off all your Leeds United merch. Pick your items, pop them in your basket, and at the checkout, add the code RITGK15 to get 15% off your goods. That's RITGK15. 
tag us on social and let us know what you thought. So we've got a few quick fire questions for you now, just some really straightforward ones. Um, first one is the best player you've coached at Leeds. It's tough this one because even people ask you in general um, and everybody's got different types of players. I could say the talented players like um, Snodgrass could do something out of nothing. Mats could do something out of nothing. Johnny was the ultimate professional, you know what I mean? Trained like a demon and, and scored important goals. You'd have Richard Naylor run through a brick wall for you. Kids Norbo would do the same thing. Michael gone on to be one of the best goalkeepers in the world. So, But I think... I've got to probably just probably say Jermaine because of what he did for us at that particular time from the goals he scored in League One to the Old Trafford goal to then securing promotion. And uh, we have this relationship where I've signed him a few other times and he scored goals for me. Um, He's no saint, believe me. I've I've fallen out with him a few times at Leeds and um, other clubs as well. But we've, we've got this relationship. He knows what I want from him. I know what he's going to give me. And uh, your man management of skills, understanding players to make them tick properly. And that final game against Bristol Rovers to give him the armband back, I just felt was another decision that he would thrive on and and love the spotlight. And hence he, he stuck his chest out, was getting involved with Max, trying to get him off, scored the winning goal. So, I think all round, I think Jermaine would be sort of the biggest influence that he's had on me um, as, a, as a manager at Leeds anyway. What's the best signing you've had at Leeds, Simon? Best signing? Yeah. Um, again, you can look at different positions. You look at Max was like 100 grand or something and we sold him for five or six and he scored plenty of goals for us. Um Richard Naylor just led by example, didn't he? Between him and Kisnobo, they were a right partnership. We've had, we've had them probably about two or three years younger than they were because they were just both getting on a little bit and um, just picked up injuries. If that had been my first team, first part, centre-back partnership for a long time, then I think we'd have been in the Premier League them, them seasons that we're talking about. So them two um, were up there. And, and, you, and you look at sort of people who did underrated jobs. Kilkenny was a, a fine player, even though I didn't sign him. Yeah. Michael Doyle did a great yeah. job for us that League One promotion year and mm. kicked many people in training on the pitch. Um, so I, th- I think then ones would be sort of, the outer signing of somebody like Max or Paddy or, or Richard Naylor really would be one out of them three. You took, um, did you take all three of them on loan? You took Max on loan and I'm pretty sure you took Richard on loan as well, didn't you? Yeah, I think we I think we took them on loan to start with and then yeah. signed them permanently. I think because um, the club just we just wanted to see how they worked out and if things were going well then we could sign them permanently. So yeah, we we did we did them without yeah loan to a, a permanent deal. You know, players players that always fascinated me is that the likes of Mike Grello was Mike player that you signed under your tenure. I think he might have been. Actually. Yeah, him him and David Sommer. We David had, a connection, Sommer. We, we had yeah. connections with people in America and. Yeah. Um, they came over on trial and we thought, yeah, these these boys have got something about them. Loved the game. Work ethic was great. Could score a goal. Dad, David obviously uh, did his cruciate, which didn't help him. But Mike had a, a knack of coming off the bench at times and, and getting goals, as, as David did as well. And the one thing that they probably both couldn't do was get regular game time because of other players that were in front of them. You know what I mean? Um, even... 
the, the first year in the championship, I might be the second year we signed McCormack. Well, Ross didn't really get into the team to start with early on because we were playing Johnny as a number 10 off Luciano and we had Max and, and Snodgrass and, and obviously Ross went on to have a fantastic career at Leeds and made, I think we signed him for three, 400 grand and sold him for 12. So that wasn't a bit, bad bit of business, was it? No, it was good. He was captain as well. And like you said, you got then club game get £12 million. I think he ended up moving two or three times for that fee, didn't he? So, yeah, good bit of business for, for Ross. Yeah, he's plenty, scored plenty of goals. So, yeah, there's different different players. And, and as I said earlier, players that have been probably people forgot about or just under the radar. Like we brought Bradley Johnson back from Northampton. Uh, where was he? Brighton playing in League Two and and. Bradley then went on to be a regular in in the first team and then gone on and had the career that he had as well. So uh, yeah, it's always nice to see lads that have that played underneath you, that have made real good careers in the game, and now some of them are coming back into the careers or finished and and they're going into the into their next phase of their life of of being a coach. I'm texting Paddy Kisnobo the other day. He's just got the Melbourne City job, so it's it's great that. These lads are then gonna go on and hopefully have a good career, coaching career as well. Is Paddy still wearing the headband then as the manager? <laughs> he still <laughs> thinks it's superstitious now, you know what I mean? Yeah. He, did, he used to get some stick about the lads because he said he wasn't superstitious, but he still wore it every day in training and every day in match day, didn't he? I think about fifteen thousand Leeds fans used to wear it on a on a home game as well. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the present day then, obviously Leeds are back in the top flight and we've shown great promise in our first four games. Do you expect that to continue or are we still in this honeymoon period and we're all kind of getting a little bit carried away? Well, I don't think you'll be getting carried away. I think it's just the norm that you go up a division and Leeds fans just expect sort of um, success and and why not? You've got to, why, why go into a division and just think that survival is is the main thing and an acceptable thing. Of course, the, best, the most important thing is that Leeds United stay in the Premier League and can build and get the money in to keep moving the club back, sort of moving forwards. And But the way that Marcello's played for the last two years, I'd, I'd, I'd never thought that he would change his philosophies, even going into the Premier League. And and it wasn't a surprise to me how they took the game to Liverpool the first game of the season. I think it was a surprise that the number of chances that they created and uh, but they're certainly never going to not press like they've done play out from the back and play with the intensity that he's played for the last two seasons and and somebody said to me after the the Fulham game like the 4-3 game there as well what do you think Marcello will do now and I thought I thought it would just tweak it a little bit not in terms of anything major changing systems or not pressing from the front I just think maybe he's just told one or two players to maybe take a step two two or three steps further back defensively so there's not as many holes where there can be a little bit more um caught in 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 gaps and spaces and be punished and go to Sheffield United get a great clean sheet win the game and then go against Man City and, and certainly after 20 minutes you thought god this could be anything because Man City were on fire weren't they but they've got a re- resilience about them a spirit about them and um, certainly deserve to get some out of the game and might be disappointed not to have, have won it. So it's it's a great that sort of the start that they've had and it's just a, such a such a shame that 
no supporters are allowed inside the ground to see any of this. Yeah, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Realistically then, where do you think Leeds will finish this season from what you've seen so far in the opening, opening four games? Well, I said it before the start of the season, without actually watching any games, that I think they would finish top half anywhere. I, I just think that, that with the squad that they've got, I think with the recruitment, and when I spoke to Victor um, over the last few weeks and knowing what the players they were going to be getting, that I was thinking, yeah, they're, they're not prepared just to stand still. They're not prepared just to um, see how it goes. They're going to bring in quality players. And Marcello likes the nucleus of the, of a, a squad that he's worked with. So the people like Liam and, and Stuart Dallas and um, Patrick Bamford and others have all ignored Calvin and many, many others know exactly what the requirements are from all the work that they've done with him for the last two years. And others then were going to just be in, coming to the team on a steady period. Um, so I, I, I think top 10 would be... Um, would be something that that everybody would accept, but ultimately I think it's very achievable as well. Here's one for you, Simon. Would you rather play in a Marcello Bielsa side, or would you rather manage against him? God, the demands as a player training like you'd have to do by the cards. <laughs> it must have been hard work. Then again, I'm not quite sure I'd want to manage against him because he might put me a team to the sword and really unbatter you. And it's it, it's never been easy managing any team against any Leeds United team because it's I've got certain sections of the crowd singing to me and then I'm managing the opposition so that that's never been easy so I'll, I'll take the easy option say I'd rather um, be a player underneath him because I could, as a player I could run I could I could do a lot of the things that players do now um, but it depend I'd have to be in my mid twenties rather than my late thirties to play for him that's for sure. <laughs> A lot of managers, um, even those with established careers, have said that they've been watching Bielsa and have learned from him over the past couple of years. What's your take on how he goes about things and what he brings to the English game? Well, a freshness. I think um, when you listen to what Guardiola and Pochettino, two very good coaches in, in world football, and they look up to him as their mentor, it just it speaks, that speaks enough for it, doesn't it? Um, and then everybody else, Klopp and all the other coaches, have looked at different ways of his ideas, his philosophies. Um, he's, he's just held in such high regard. And forget the, the tactical side and what he does with, with his players every day at the training ground. He's such a humble person. When you see him posing for pictures in all the supermarkets, it's as if he, he's just a normal bloke just walking down the street who has got a real connection with the football club and the supporters and he, he just loves being living where he is walking where he walks and just takes everything in his stride and he doesn't have limousine drivers taking him from big hotels in a city like other managers do in london manchester and other parts of the country he's, he's just a great down-to-earth person and a lot of people who are not at the training ground enjoy his company as well as what he does on the football pitch. So just to wrap up, we've got a couple of questions from some fans on social media. Um, Lauren asks, aside from the two obvious ones, so Man United and Bristol Rovers, what was your most memorable memorable game managing Leeds United? I think we touched on it. <laughs> was the my first game against Leicester when you're walking down the tunnel and it's 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 just surreal that you're there as a supporter for many years and then there for six years as a player to walk down and go the full circle 
was just a, a feeling that I can still remember now. And my family is so proud of it. Um, and yeah, it was it was just a fantastic moment to be able to think that I've managed a club like Leeds United. Um, in terms of the games wise, I think I remember being at um, when we were at Burnley, we were two 0 down at Turf Moor. And I didn't really have to say too much in the dressing room because, as you know, that the dressing rooms are below where the away fans are. And Leeds fans, as they do, nearly came through the roof because you could hear all the noise that was, that was singing and everything like that. And I said, look, we don't just go and do it for them. Go out and have a right good go because they will back you. Anyway, we won 3-2, didn't we? Johnny scored twice, I think. I don't think he got hat-trick. I think he scored twice. And... And we won three two, so uh, that was that was a good a good feeling when you can hear the supporters at half time, and then we're in the to- dressing room afterwards, and you can still hear them there about half an hour later singing and dancing around. Yeah, I was uh, I was there that day, Simon. I think Snodgrass scored. I think was the last goal, the winning goal. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, it might have done actually. Yeah, came out a completely different team. Completely different team is brilliant. Yeah, well, I threatened to open the doors and let a few of the players <laughs> in. That's probably what it was. <laughs> they would have come in. <laughs> it shows you the power of the crowd, doesn't it? Which is something we're obviously missing at the minute, unfortunately. Yeah, it is. And and then uh, and I look at this as well. That the Leeds United faithful can certainly be a massive bonus for you. For them, you know, we spoke about Bristol Rovers and Millwall as well. But also, it, it's not easy as well at times being a Leeds player when for the, with the supporters because. I, th- I think the lockdown helped Leeds get promoted because there was no anxiety among the place, no nervousness, no no tension amongst players because of nobody was inside Ellen Road, were there? I remember the Barnsley game absolutely got battered, didn't they, by Barnsley, but won 1-0. And I think if that had been with a full house, I think Barnsley would have would have beat Leeds that day and it might have just derailed the sort of promotion push as well. So... Um, I certainly wouldn't swap Leeds fans for others, any others, but it, it, it is a, it can be demanding as well. There's no getting away from that. Oh yeah, definitely. And and, and we've got another question from Dan on social media, and he, and he wants to know, as your time as manager, is was there any time or any point at the club where you looked at the squad after a game or during training and thought we're close to Premier League? You know, we're not far from it because the the demand and the the, the fans wanted it so badly, as you as you know. Did you ever? Get a sense of it while you were there that we were close at any point. Yeah, definitely. I think we, when we went second at Christmas and we'd beat QPR and Neil Warlock's team, and and we had Becky and Johnny playing as a ten and, and Snod and um, and Max on the left and I think Killer and um, Bradley Johnson. I thought that we had a real good chance then. There was and, and the backing of the crowd at the time that there was a real positive place the connection between myself the supporters the city was buzzing again that that was that that christmas january time i thought was a real opportunity that we could get to where we wanted to get to um, and unfortunately that uh, didn't pan out how we all wanted it to be remember that qpr game well i think max got a brace yeah uh, everyone was talking about him because i think tarat was the big name before we all had to watch him uh, and you nullified him but I remember the game nearly got called off for the surrounding areas not being safe. So we all woke up that morning absolutely panicking because, you know, it was massive, the game. Like you said, QPR was up there. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, we're absolutely outstanding. And I remember Ellen Road being absolutely bouncing on that that Saturday afternoon as well. 
Yeah, he like and so when you beat something go to where you did in the division at the time, you're thinking, yeah, we've got a chance here because we did had a did have a talented group and a it's all right having a talented group, but you you've got to also have a group that have, have got desire, spirit, hunger, and run through brick walls for you. And and we had that as well. And so all the ingredients was there. We just had the final piece of the jigsaw wasn't quite there for us to uh, to help us along the way. So what's next for you, Simon? Are you looking at your next managerial opportunity or given the current circumstances, are you kind of enjoying the media sides a bit more at the moment? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm enjoying doing the media work that I do. Um, but but football's in my blood, coaching, playing. Um, since I was 16 and started as a, an apprentice, I've only probably had just over a year out of work, so it's been continuous all the time. You, you, sometimes when you're in a job, as a manager, because of the pressure and the stress that you have to go through, you're thinking, oh, I could do it a bit of time out. And then you have a bit of time out and then you go back to work again. So I'm waiting for an opportunity, uh, whether it's at home or abroad. I sort of wouldn't mind working abroad, actually, sort of something different. Um, but but who knows, in this current climate, it's it's not easy um, for, for football. And, and there's certainly... Very difficult for football clubs now to sack managers because of payoffs and and very little revenue at football clubs. But hopefully somewhere down the line the opportunity will come again. And I'm still 50. I've got 700 games nearly under my belt, four promotions, and I want to add to them two statistics if I can, and uh, still be managing in I don't know five, ten years later. Don't want to be doing it till I'm 65, 70 because I want a bit <laughs> of a rest. To be fair, play some golf. Yeah, well, I've managed to do that in lockdown. I do a lot of cycling at the moment as well. So um, I'm watching my son play. He's sort of just come back from a long-term injury at Blackburn. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm missing watching football, going out actually to games to try and be there in the flesh. Isn't, it's not easy to, to get tickets now, as you can imagine. But, yeah, I'm ready. I'm refreshed. It's just waiting for an opportunity now. Well, that's everything from us. Thank you so much for joining us, Simon. It's always a pleasure to hear from someone that loves the club as a fan as much as we do so yeah absolute joy to speak to you thank you very much no worries thanks very much so that brings us to the end of the simon grayson hour keep an eye on the socials at ritgk to see who'll be joining us over the next few weeks thanks for listening and we'll be back with the regular pod in a couple of weeks Network.